Health is relative. There is no such thing as an absolute state of health or sickness. Everyone's physical, mental, and emotional condition is a combination of both. Theodore Isaac Rubin everybody. Welcome to episode four of Emetophobia Health. I'm Anna Christie, recovered emetophobic, licensed psychotherapist specializing in emetophobia, and your host for this podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about emetophobia and coping with physical illnesses. Trigger warnings. Um, I, one time near the end, I say the word vomit, um, and I think we might say something like was sick or being sick, but we don't tell any stories, no gory details, nothing like that. My guest today is Ashley Anderson from California. Hi, Ashley. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? Oh, uh, I'm not doing. I'm. I'm. Oops. See, I'm. I'm. I'm bad at this. You know, I'm going to be. That's okay. That's all, all, the whole time. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's not fair because I already asked you that before I started recording. So yeah, that's so my bad. Like, ah. <laughs> yeah. So um, the podcast today, um, we're here to talk about having a metaphobia and having um, some other physical illnesses that you have at the same time as a metaphobia. And I know for our listeners, that's, this is going to be a really important podcast because a lot of people are dealing with several things, probably different things than you, but nevertheless. Um, so if we could just start out, maybe you could tell um, everybody just a bit about your story of what it was like for you growing up and when your metaphobia started. Sure. So basically, I've had emetophobia since I can remember. Uh, I, I've always had it since I was a child. I, I was probably about four years old when it started getting really bad. And my parents would tell me that <clears throat> that I would come into their room a few times a night and ask them questions like if I was white, if I was shaky. Or like, or if I was gonna get sick or something like that, I became very um, OCD with like food dates and like if things tasted okay. And I would always ask my mom to taste my food before I ate it <laughs> because if she didn't get sick, then I would feel comforted like, oh, I'm not gonna get sick from this. So it was it was really bad between the ages of of about four and six, and then once I turned about eight or nine, it wasn't too bad anymore. And I, um, it was kind of like a phase, like an early childhood phase. And then I didn't really have oh, wow. emetophobia for a few years until I was about 15 or 16 again. Right. Uh, it kind of like, it regressed a little bit and then it came back when I got older. So I had, you know, a pretty normal childhood. I grew up in Germany, oh. uh, no traumatizing of that would make it make me terrified of being right. sick or anything yeah i think yeah. the reason i probably have emetophobia is because my first memory is me being sick <laughs> oh that's your very first memory of, of your whole <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that's too bad so, yeah it, it was you're probably pretty scared if that's your first memory really little yeah 
we're in the car, so and I have like a fear of car, like being car sick. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's really common too. There's something about being in a car that you feel kind of trapped. You know, mm-hmm. even though even though in a car you can pull over and get out, but like you know, somebody could. But there's still this idea that that you're trapped inside a place, and so that's pretty common too. So yeah. yeah, so it it came back when you were a, a teenager, and yes. um, and you've got um, like you've had a, you've got a relationship. You have a child. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've done pretty well. What do you do for? Uh, are you a stay at home mom now, or do you work outside yeah. your home? So when when you filled out my questionnaire, um, you had written that you that you have. Um, a number of uh, physical things, one of which was a hiatal hernia. Yes, I do have and one of those. Can you explain to our listeners what that is? Basically, so basically what a hiatal hernia is, is when um, a part of your stomach goes up through uh, your diaphragm in your chest, like between your ribs. Yeah. And then it it makes a pouch and food and acid and stuff can get stuck in there and make you nauseous, basically, and cause a lot of pain. I was going to say that sounds very painful. Yes, it's not comfortable at all. And I can feel it when it's like mine's a sliding hernia. So sometimes it'll be up in my diaphragm and sometimes it won't be. Mm. So sometimes I can feel it and sometimes I can't. Wow. You were you had also written that you have chronic nausea. Yeah, I did actually for a while. Um, but in the past couple months it's it's lessened, luckily, and I've been able to wean off some of my medications. I've weaned myself off of basically all of my antiemetics. How much of the nausea that you felt do you believe uh was anxiety related? Um, well, it was hard for me to tell because actually like I would start feeling a little bit nauseous at first and then I believe part of it could possibly be exacerbated by you know my phobia so I would work myself up into being more nauseous uh-huh so I'd probably say about like 30 percent of it was okay. anxiety and then if it but then the rest right was my well yes you obviously have <laughs> something um, wrong with your with your stomach right um and you also mm-hmm. suffer migraines you were writing about that yeah so um i've been having migraines since i was 15 oh my goodness they I never really thought much of them until like i i and i always used to get pretty nauseous with my migraines but I found that, you know, like sipping water and having a cold pack or a hot heating pad or something on my neck or head or whatever helped. And I would just lay down. And that usually seemed to mm-hmm. help quite a bit. And then after that, uh, I started after I got pregnant, my migraines got way, oh way worse, like so bad. I would not be able to leave the bed. Because I would be feeling so bad and in so much pain like I, they have been painful to the point of making me cry and I actually have a very high pain Holy. tolerance. That's bad. Yeah. yeah. I I've <laughs> I don't usually cry when I'm in pain. No. 
sometimes it helps, I think, <laughs> don't you? Like to once you cry, you kind of release some of the, you know, tension and stuff that is pent up. A little bit. A little bit, but like with migraines, I think it kind of kind of makes it worse because you know, right. your head gets all stuffy and your nose gets all stuffy, and then it and then it makes the pain worse. That's so true, like, yeah. Because oh. when you cry on the outside, <laughs> you also get all this exactly. water build up on the inside. Like that's why your eyes go puffy and stuff. So yeah, you're right. It's probably not a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, anybody listening, don't cry when you have a migraine. <laughs> try not to. Not yeah, try not to cry. <laughs> Um, most of the time I would say as a therapist, crying really does help. It makes you feel better. It, it does, but totally like for unrelated reasons. Right. Yeah. Every other time I've cried, I feel better after. And, um, you, you also, the last thing you wrote was that you have trouble with your thyroid. Is that something diagnosed and treated or? Yeah. So basically I've been to like tons and tons of doctors and trying to figure out what's going on, but none of them will give me any like diagnosis or specific answer. So I'm kind of just like floating around out here like, okay, I have all these symptoms and I don't know how to get rid of them. And um, yeah, so that was not so fun. But basically what happened was uh, after I had my son, uh, he was about four months old and I started getting really weak and dizzy and I mm. couldn't stay awake and I was incredibly nauseous and I couldn't eat and I lost like 40 pounds in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just a few months. Like I went from being 130 pounds to 96 pounds. Wow. Yeah. So that and then uh it was so bad i'd be falling asleep in the middle of the afternoon i i could not stay awake and my mom and his his other grandma you know um, on his dad's side they had to take care of him for me because i, I physically could not take care of my son i i couldn't i couldn't stay awake right and um so after that started, I started going to um, an endocrinologist and they tested my thyroid levels and they said my, my TSH, so my, my thyroid stimulating hormone was very low. And then my, my TS4, I think it, my TSH4 or something like that. I can't remember what, it, what exactly it's called was really high. And so my stimulating hormone wasn't enough, but I had, mm -hmm like an overabundance of another hormone. And so that was what was making me sick. And so how did they treat that? They didn't. They basically told me I had to wait it out because they were guessing it was postpartum hyperthyroidism, which happens okay. common actually after having a baby between four and 18 months of age. Oh, how about that? So I had postpartum hyperthyroidism until he was about 10 or 11 months old okay and during those months i did nothing i basically slept the whole time for oh nine months gosh. wow yeah. i have not heard of that you know that's um an interesting thing and it seems odd that they can't treat it with anything no and i was also like it it also um spiked my like depression and everything. I'm pretty sure I had I had a really bad postpartum depression mm -hmm. as well. And 
I had to go to the hospital a couple times for that. That was all that was all like tied into the thyroid problem mm-hmm. issues though, because having um hyperthyroidism can actually make you really anxious and depressed. So right. once my thyroid began to balance itself out once he was around fifteen fourteen, fifteen months old, um I was feeling a lot better and um my anxiety over going places began to lessen and I was able to get out more and do more things. And I wasn't feeling so Mm -hmm. sad all the time Um, because before that, when he was really young, uh, I stopped going anywhere because I would have like multiple panic attacks wherever we went and I would feel horribly sick and I just, I could not function. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, that sounds like a terrible ordeal, and I'm really sorry that you had to go through all of that. I'm Luckily glad that you, yeah, that you came out the other side of it. I mean, you still have the the hernia. Um, yes, I still have I'm the hernia. Sure. You still get I, the migraines. How often do you get migraines? Maybe once every two weeks. Okay. Okay. And yeah, I get. I get adjusted by my chiropractor too, and that helps lessen the migraines right. as well as yeah. the and nausea and all that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I get migraine t- uh, level pain headaches, but they're actually tension headaches from the tension in my neck between the joints, but I only yeah. get them maybe a couple times a year. So oh. I can't even imagine, you know, people talk about having chronic migraines. Oh, I don't know horrible. how you live. I don't know how you you know, how do you carry on? Like, well, I guess you don't carry on, you know, like you say, you you lay lay in bed and hopefully there's other people to look after you. And yeah, because when I have a migraine, I cannot take care of myself. It's bad. It's I'm like really Mm -hmm. thankful that I live with my family because my mom can take care of me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That's true. Oh, my mom mom took care of me those whole, that whole year that I was really, really sick and weak and just not in a good mental place and it was very very hard on her though and it was very hard on me and um I won't go into detail because it would probably get too triggering sure I'm sure everyone appreciates that um (laughs) but, but I think we can all imagine just how scary it would be on top of having all these physical things going on, right? Because every single thing that you've mentioned is is something that will trigger your emetophobia yes, as well. Yes, it will right? trigger your emetophobia. And, and then once, emetoph- once someone's emetophobia gets triggered, then, then they get the symptoms of... Um, anxiety or panic, which include feeling nauseous, Mm -hmm. you know, which include like things like, you know, your heart racing and that makes your headache worse. Yeah. So, um, The, The most important thing is definitely like when I was going through that, I like, I just had to try to breathe and stay calm because eventually Mm -hmm. the feeling would pass and then I would be okay. So I literally just had to learn to sit on the floor and breathe through my panic attacks and my nausea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I got pretty good at it luckily. So now I, I do get panic attacks at work every now and then, and I'll feel really strange, but 
I'll have to just like keep breathing and uh, try to remind yeah. myself I'm okay. I'm not gonna like nothing's gonna happen to me. I'm fine. Right. Well, that's good because you know if you had, um, I know that you had some CBT in the past that wasn't very helpful for you, which is no, really no. bad. But I tell people. Uh, my clients that your breath is your salvation, you know, like your, your breath really does help because if you can slow down your breath, you can slow down your heart. And I then, agree. yeah, and your body decides, oh, maybe it's not, maybe you're not about to be eaten by a bear after all. And we don't need to freak you know, out quite so badly, you know, exactly. so we can just, yeah. we can just calm everything down. Because if your heart starts going, your adrenaline starts pumping, then you get quite nauseous. And yeah, you won't, like, sorry, I cut you off. No, I was just gonna say you won't get sick, but you, you will feel nauseous because your, your body decides to stop digesting food, because that takes energy and you need energy to run away from the threat, whatever the threat is. But. Yes, exactly. I have a question for you, though. Sure. So how, what percent of cured would you say that you are? Like 100% or? Yeah, 100%. Well, let's say, wait a minute, maybe 99.99999. I'll tell you why <laughs> there's like 0. 0.0000. I don't know how many zeros I had, 1%. There, if I can still get triggered and I'll jump. I'll be like, whoa, you know, like say one of my grandkids, like, um, you know, uh, vomits or, or even says, I feel sick. Um, yes. I'll, I'll just get like this, whoa, really fast. And then, it, and then I, it's gone. And if it isn't gone, I just say to myself, oh, you're not afraid of that anymore. Like, and take it. I just inhale and then it's gone. So it's completely gone. So, but that little, now, if I had a grandkid that did that every single day, then that would go away as well. Then then I, that wouldn't trigger me either. But these are rare things, you know, to yeah. see someone be sick or whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's that area. It's the neural pathway in your brain that went from the trigger to freaking out is always going to be there. You can't undo it. You can't remove it. Yeah. But you can build new highways around it, um, which now from the trigger point, I, I just go somewhere else. Like, uh, this doesn't matter, you know. So, I like, yeah. I like what you said about uh, saying you're not afraid of it anymore. Like, I think yeah, that's a really helpful right. saying for people that are in the middle of a panic attack, like to try and just say, oh, wait a second. I'm not afraid of this. Like, I'm bigger <laughs> than this. <laughs> Yeah, it's always good to have a little um, mantra to say. Um, and it might not be that because they might actually still be afraid of it. But I had well, some when I was going through treatment, I had my favorite one was you're not in any danger. You know, because it feels one. dangerous, but it's not dangerous, right? So I yeah. wrote that on a card and I carried the card around with me um, when I was volunteering as a chaplain in a hospital which helped me to get completely over the phobia that's so, really good yeah yeah other people would, have things different things written down yeah I, I would have to say that like 
when I'm having one of those panic attacks and I feel like it's going to happen, then I have to just like sit there and I have to remind myself, okay, it's not going to hurt me. I'm going to be okay. Like it's not going to last very long if it does happen. And, um, usually you feel better. So it's, yeah, you just have to get, you just have to like, even though you're afraid, you have to remind yourself that it's not, you're not going to die from it. Yes. Yeah. It feels like you're going to die, even though you know you're not going to die. That's why it's so scary, right? But Mm -hmm. yeah, I was going to say, despite the CBT not helping you very much, what you're doing is actually um, the, the mainstay of cognitive therapy, which is to challenge your thoughts. Yeah, challenge you know? the brainwaves. Yeah, because your th- your thoughts cannot be trusted when you have a phobia or OCD or anything like that. You can't, and even depression, you can't trust your thoughts. They're not reliable. So, yeah. you know, freaking out like, oh my God, like this is the worst thing in the world. Like that, that's, that's not true. So, you know, you yeah, have to challenge those things. You have to challenge those thoughts. It sounds like you doing that for sure. Well, yeah, you're the depression. I would have to do yes. that. Yes. Because With depression, the thoughts are automatic neg- negative thoughts. They're automatically yeah, negative. Yeah. That's what I had when I had postpartum depression. I just like constantly thought bad thoughts about myself. Right. And um, had intru- like intrusive thoughts all day long. And it was... Mm-hmm pretty terrible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to have a couple of women on in the next couple of weeks, I think, um, talk, it might even be next week, talking about their experiences with specifically with depression and emetophobia. So that should be interesting as well. Well, you're a really um, great story of courage, and perseverance, and overcoming some of these um, physical ailments that that you had and oh sorry go ahead oh, what were you gonna say i was just gonna say like for all the other emetophobic like emetophobic people that are listening to this um i'm like i medication like you know an anti-emetic is is a huge comfort to people but like there's a huge feeling of accomplishment when you can like beat your nausea without taking an anti-emetic and say, like, yes. look at this. I did not, you know, I was not sick and I did not take an antiemetic and everything was okay. So now, and I feel like that's what's like truly gotten me over the other side, like, yeah, place with my emetophobia is realizing I don't need medication to get rid of the nausea. Right. Right. Well, good for you. Good for you. So such strength and um, courage on your part. First of all, a big thank you to my guest, Ashley Anderson, and to all of you who are listening. We've had over 700 podcast downloads to date. And to me, that's a huge success. There are costs associated with it. So if you're finding it helpful, I'd love it if you could donate just two Canadian dollars, which is about $1.50 US or one British pound. Then just go to my website at emetophobiahelp.org and scroll down to the bottom of the page where you'll see the donate button. My website also has a ton of information for emetophobics and all the resources you need as a therapist to treat emetophobia with traditional CBT. 
That's emetophobiahelp.org or just Google Emetophobia Help. Next week, I'll be talking with two women about depression and what that's like to cope with when we also have emetophobia. Until then, stay safe, wear a mask, keep two meters away from other people, wash your hands, and please always be kind to one another.